Hi friends, it's your girl Harpo. I'm keeping the intro to this episode short and sweet because the real magic is in the actual episode. This episode is titled Searching for You and it was an honor to host Asad Khan, aka Convict. Not only is Searching for You the title of one of his tracks from his EP Kahani, it's also a description of perhaps what all of us are doing, searching for ourselves and looking to find all that we truly are. In this episode, I get to show you all a side of Asad that you might not have been acquainted with before. You all know that the premise of BGG is for me to show my own journey back home to myself. In this episode, we get to hear about Asa's journey back home to himself. We talk about healing our wounds, hurting ourselves and others in the process, and the deep search for acceptance. Most of all, we talk about who Asad really is. And I gotta say, I mean this with my whole heart. This is one of my favorite episodes, if not the most favorite episode of both season one and season two combined. And I can't wait for you to hear why. Growing up, my mom used to listen to Mehdi Hassan a lot. And I would be sitting in the backseat of the car thinking, you know, what is this slow music that's always playing? Why don't we ever listen to something a little bit more hype and happening? And now this is all I listen to. And I make electronic dance music and I listen to Mehdi Hassan all the damn time in my damn time. Right. Yeah. So I think that's the one thing that is so shocking to me, like, you know, in terms of getting to know you, that's the that's the wildest thing, because the outside perception is like, yeah, he makes electronic music. But then when you actually get to know Asad, Asad listens to Mehdi Hassan, Nusra Ali Khan, you know, and all these kinds of like beautiful songs about not romantic love, but like love for the, the world, love for God, and all just this idea of love. Every time I hear uh, Rafta Rafta by Mehdi Hassan, I think about you because I'm like, oh, this is a song by Mehdi Hassan, and this is what Asad listens to. And it's just so beautiful that even though maybe not explicitly, but all those influences have found their way into who you are as a person and probably the music you make. Yeah, I think... Uh just the deepening of my relationship with my roots um, in general has been a, a big theme for me for the last few years. And music is a part of that, like really diving deep into the music that I grew up listening to as, as a child, because I think like, you know, Jay-Z had this uh, interview with Letterman, which he says, you either grow up in a family of instrumentalists. So like, you know, everybody in the family plays an instrument and you grow up playing instruments. Or you just grew up in a family that listens to great music. And I feel like I had the advantage of being the latter. Um, and while I didn't, you know, grow up playing any instruments, I, I grew up listening to some amazing music. And my, you know, my mother gets all the credit for that because she has really good taste. Mm -hmm. And I think through osmosis, like even though you're just a child and you don't really know what's going on, you don't know what the rag is and you don't know what the scales are and the uh, amazing strength of his vocals, you just you're taking those riffs in, you're taking that style of music in. And naturally, then when you try to create music, the vessel of your art that has been shaped through, you know, the grooves of that earlier music automatically ensures that it starts to come out in what you create. Mm -hmm. So I think just tapping into that and connecting with that has allowed me to let that roll out a bit smoother. And, you know, um, I, I had the same experience where a lot of music was always played in my house and it was a lot of... Um, older Bollywood music, um, Hindi music, I would say, I wouldn't say Bollywood as much, but older Hindi music. And my dad used right. to also listen to um, a lot of Nusrat. And he's been saying this one name, um, Mur 
Mutabali or something like that. He's been okay. saying that name a lot. And so for me, music is always playing. We always have the radio on, we have the TV on, or I, if I'm alone in any space, um, it's there's always music playing. And I love music. I love um, you know how my body wants to automatically move to it. But I always felt like because I don't actually create music, or because right. I can't sing. I, I mean, I think I can sing. People around me think I can't sing. <laughs> um, but because I can't actually produce music, I can't make music. I always felt like my love for music is not as strong as someone who can actually create it. And, you know, for the longest time, I was like, I'm just going to stop saying that I really love music because I feel right. like I just sound like everybody else. But the older I get, the more I realize that. I can still love it even if I'm not a singer or a producer or a musician. Like I can't play any instruments, but I have so much respect for the sound of instruments. You know, I have my own sounds that I love. Like I love the trumpet sound, the saxophone sound. Right. Um, and I connect to that a lot. I like listening even if I can't create it. Well, um, what if I said that the listener creates the music just as much as the Oh, <laughs> that's too deep. <laughs> because I mean, they don't really like if, if, the listener it doesn't exist to 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 listen to the music then really like what is the creator doing you know mm -hmm. i think it's, and that i think that zoomed out is a bigger theme of the uh creator and the consciousness to get to experience it what's the point of all the creation if there's no consciousness to experience it right yeah and you know you you walked right into this first point that i wanted to make is this um you know the the title of this episode is searching for you um, and it's because I was a, a listener of your song, Searching for You. Um, you know, there's there's two songs actually of yours that um, that really moved me. Searching for You I'll talk about in just a second um, because I really want to talk about why we titled this episode this. But even your, your song, um, Before Summer Ends, I remember calling you up last summer and saying, can I please use your song um, Before Summer Ends for a project? Um, and you said, yeah, of course. And the project was, you know, I was listening to the song before summer ends and it was a bit of an older song. I never heard it before, but as I was listening to it, um, while I was, you know, um, driving somewhere, um, I heard it for the first time and it just moved me so much. I couldn't stop listening to it all night. And wow. I remember it was like, I think it was like a full moon or something. And so I was taking a bath. I had the song playing in the background and I just started weeping in the bath. And there was something that, uh, connected, like something just clicked in my mind. Um, and it had to do with my grandmother who passed away in 2016. Uh, my grandmother died by suicide. And when I heard Before Summer Ends, I kid you not, her death made sense to me because wow. I could, uh, there was a, there's a part in that, I don't know how to describe it, but there's a part where there's like somebody singing. Right. And right. that part to me, something in my heart was like, okay, like I could hear my grandmother speaking to me and she was saying to me, I had to go the way that I did so that you could heal the way that you've had. Wow. Um, and it was all because of the the music that you made. And I, I'm sure you didn't intend it to be, you know, you never really know what, how someone's going to receive the music. But that was, that was crazy to me that only hearing that is what prompted that sort of a click and connection and shift in my, in my existence. Wow. Firstly, thank you for sharing that. That's, uh, I mean, deeply moving and intimate so i really appreciate you sharing it um and and you know like a story like that is like is what solidifies sort of the resolve to keep creating like i right. i don't think uh, oftentimes in interviews like i get asked this question like oh like what, what were you hoping people take away from the song and and i've learned that like that that is not a great a great question because um I, everybody takes from all forms of art 
solely based on how their inner universe is at the time. Like mm-hmm. y- the way your inner sort of, um, you know, your, your psychology at the time, your level of peace with yourself and, and your level of lack of peace with yourself. I think all those things shape how we, we consume art and, and how what we find in it. It's just like, you know, you, you'll see something completely different in a painting than I will based mm-hmm. on how we both perceive it. And our perception is filtered only through our, our, you know, inner state and our inner being. So, so I think that's what makes like creating anything so special is be, is that you, like, I would have never imagined like, you know, that, like that mm-hmm. song would have that kind of impact on one person. And that's one story. And you know, how many people might've had their own story with it. And somebody just might be having a really good time dancing to it at the beach or yeah. somebody can have a really, you know, deep meditative experience like you did. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. Thanks for creating that song, man. <laughs> Well, shout out to Hark, shout out to Sahil who played the flute and uh, and my piano teacher who like taught me how to write those chords. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's so, see, I mean, that's it's so much goes into it. You know, it's not that. Yeah. It doesn't belong to one person. No art. Yeah. Does, I don't think. Yeah. I think that's what it is that, you know, so much goes into it. Um, so this episode is titled Searching for You um, because, you know, you have a song called Searching for You. And for right. me, when that song came out, the first time I think I'd ever heard it was when I was living in Montreal by myself and I was crossing a really busy intersection um, by the place that I live at, lived at at the time. And Searching for You came on and I, I feel like I'd had like a, either I had a hard day or it was just like a week where, you know, I'd been living on my own for a little while and I was just questioning whether all of this was worth it. And I heard Searching for You and I realized, oh my God, it is worth it. Like I I'm over right. here basically, you know, forming myself and forming my identity. And so for me, searching for you was kind of a turning point for me, like as a fan of your work for sure. Um, but as an acquaintance at the time who eventually, you know, now we're dosts. So it 100%. really was a turning point. Yeah. I really want to know from you what what searching for you is about and who that you is that you're searching for. Yeah. Um, you know, searching for you came out um under Kahani, which was my first project that was my own music before that I was DJing and sort of um, making mashups and remixes but never really something original and I think in general at that time um, my level of awareness about myself had started to increase Um, and we'll get into that and and you know for me that has happened through many experiences but predominantly my first psychedelic experience and um, and then from there, you know, meditation and some and, and teachers and so forth. But I I had basically found myself at this place in life where I was unhappy and just overall not content with my life. And it was confusing because on a surface level, I had everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was I was young. I was like 28, 27. Um, I had a successful business. I was traveling the world playing music. I was loved for my music and DJing and and, you know, like at that age, like I was being paid very well to fly to like Thailand or or the Philippines to go play these massive parties. And I still didn't feel like I was getting an authentic, expre- you know, experience for my inner self. Like I there was a lack of alignment with how I felt inside and how what my life had become. And searching for you is in many ways the beginning of that process of like, OK, what is it that I what kind of life do I really want to live? If, if, if all of this that I thought, you know, when I started Decibel, when I started DJing, when I got into it, my passion for music kept me going. But then the success that came with the business and the DJing was 
like, okay, yeah, this is going to get me to a point where I can have the life that I thought I, that would make me find the peace that I so desperately was seeking. But a classic story of like, like arriving at that point and thinking, well, the, the math doesn't check out because I, mm -hmm. I have all of that now. The check marks are there, but I'm not any happier. And so I think Kahani and Searching for You were the beginning of that search. And uh, I talked about this in my interview with uh, Trevor Hindsight um, in sort of the BTS of the video that Searching for You is really like searching for, for my inner self, for my true self that um, wanted to have, be heard and have the voice to fully express itself. That interview is actually what did it for me. I mean, I, I feel like, yes, right. I'd had my own interpretations of the song, but when I watched that interview and I heard your experiences of growing up, you know, as a as a new immigrant in Canada, um, you know, and what, what the entire video meant to you and why you chose those places in the video, like why you chose that haircut salon, you know, and those kinds right, of things. Right, right, right. I think that that video is what solidified it for me. And that, that video made me follow you on Instagram, you know, because yeah. I was like, okay, you know, you're so right on the outside looking in it was like so many people sat there and wished that they were you so many people sat there and wished that they had what you had um and to think that you know that person wasn't even happy in what they had that was huge for me that was such a shift you know because you you always think you always look to someone who has more than you and you know i think when you say searching for you even initially when i heard the song i was like searching for you like ooh, who is us searching for is it a, right. is it a woman is it like blah 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 right. and i just recently was thinking to myself one day i said love songs hit so much different when the you is not someone else and it's you like yes. the you is you yes 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 right um, because when you start you to Sorry to cut you off, especially Kawali. Like if you listen to Kawali and you realize that it is not being sung to to a, I mean, it, it could be to, you know, you can have that kind of divine love with your partner, but mm -hmm. the kind of divine love that it is, it is singing to is, it's much bigger than just like a romantic love. Yeah. And I think that's also why I never really understood the power of, you know, really you know, amazing, iconic writers like Rumi, like I could never understand what they were talking about. And I would, I would often even run away from, you know, that kind of literature or that kind of, you know, you know, that kind of beautiful art, um, you know, right. and there was this book that I had, and it was Love Poems for God, I think it was called, I actually got you a copy of it, I remember, Yes, yes. Uh, which your sister took from you, because I know she posted <laughs> it on Instagram, and I said, hey, I got that for us, sweatshirts um, said... uh, sweat, and uh, hoodies and long sleeve shirts and books are not <laughs> uh, off, They're, they cannot be saved from Amna, Amna will come <laughs> to my place, she knows the password to my house, my code comes in. And I'll be like, hey, I haven't seen that great hoodie I had or that one book I used to want to read every now and then. And all of a yeah. sudden, it's in Amna's room upstairs. So, yeah. yeah. So Amna posted on Instagram. I said, Amna, turn to the first page, like the first flap <laughs> of the book and read it. And I said, Who's, whose name is at the bottom? And it was mine. It was so funny. But yeah, even books like that, I could never really resonate with because right. I was always searching for that to be about somebody else. And when I started to see it as myself and even this like, you know, maybe if we don't, if you don't believe in God, if you believe in, you know, an energy or spirit or source, um, right. that's what I started to see it as. And that's when it all clicked to me. And I was like, this is beautiful. This is what it means. Yeah. Right. 100%. So I mentioned Rumi. And one thing I feel like I've picked up about you in general is that you love quotes. Like you love to live your life through quotes. And I was like, how funny would it be <laughs> if I structured an entire episode of just quotes and asked, <laughs> you know, us to interpret all those quotes. Right. Um, 
but you know, one quote that I've heard you talk about often and, and say often is the wound is where the light enters. And that's a roomy quote. And I yeah. think you've been very vocal, at least in the last year about how you're working on your own wounds and allowing the light to kind of come in through those wounds, whether it's by, you know, going to therapy or just living a more present balanced life. Right. Um, I think this is so important to ask, you know, because it's enough that we can, you know, see people doing the work. But I really want to know why you've chosen to sit with those wounds instead of running from them, which, you know, a lot of people do. It takes them a really long time of running until they actually stop running um, and then they start to sit with them. Um, you know, what made you think enough? I'm going to heal. Yeah, um, well, let's, let's go back a bit and talk about the coats. Um, I'm just really big on remembering something that gives me a ah moment like. Like mm -hmm. when the when the bells go off, like oh, I said you have something to learn from this, you know. Like it's make it's make like that that's gonna help you. I said like pay attention. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think I found a lot of that in in Rumi, of course. Like the like most of the world has who the who has given him the time. Um, and yeah, I think you know, pain is communication, right? Pain is how our body and our mind communicates uh, with ourselves. If you are hurting, your toes hurting. That's that's your body letting you know that something is wrong. Like you're something, you know. You're or if you're you're putting your hand on a hot stove and it's gonna start burning and it's gonna hurt you. The pain is communicating. You take the hand off. Stop doing the thing that's causing you hurt. And I think emotional pain and and mental pain and mental health issues are your mind's way of communicating that something needs to change. Like your mind's way of communicating to you that whatever you have created as your current life, your current narrative, your is not in alignment with your true self. It's not, it's not in alignment with what your heart, what your, your deepest self really truly desires. And so there is that lack of alignment creates pain. And the wound is where the light enters is that it's, it is only when you allow that pain to really, really express itself. Because like you said, the running thing, I did that for a long time. I ran from, you know, the uneasiness that I was feeling and tried to suppress that through just overworking myself or just attaching my success to the success of my business. Like if Dustable succeeds, I'm happy, I'm successful. If, if I am, you know, the best DJ in town or if I'm the best DJ in BC or if I'm the most sought after DJ in North America in the, you know, in the Indian wedding market, then I am, then I, then I will find that piece. And each time I check one of those things off and I got there, I realized I'm no happier. Like, you know, we talked about this earlier. So I, I, I think eventually you don't have a choice but to sit down. Either you do it at some point consciously because you've had great teachers and you've had great mentors from a young age, or eventually it just gets bad enough that you have no choice but to pay attention. And for me, I think, um, you know, again, like psychedelics were sort of my first portal into, into seeing the oneness of everything and the ideas that, you know, then took me years to sort of learn and study and try to uh, incorporate into my daily lifestyle. But the once once you've had that taste, once you've had that glimpse into that, that oneness and, and how beautiful life can be outside of your head, if you can get out of it, then you th then then you have this this like, you know, your the universe has sort of in a way, just wet your appetite enough to be like, this is what it could be like. It's kind of like beginner's luck. When you start something that you're going to be passionate, uh, that you, you know, end up finding passion for, in the beginning, you're kind of good at it. You know, like when I first started DJing, I was just, it kind of came naturally to me, but then obviously you have to put in the work. But I think beginner's luck is just the universe kind of 
giving you a taste of what it, what it could be like if you really put some time and effort into this. And I think having seen what kind of bliss was possible, whether it was in a deep meditation or a profound psychedelic experience or listening to a great Kowali, I had realized that the peace that I was seeking was possible and the more now, you know, ignorance is bliss. I'm up until I knew did up until I didn't know that I was just accepting life for what it was. The pain was this is just this is just how it is. But once I had sort of tasted that, I knew that this pain is now telling me that things need to change, mm-hmm. you know, and and I think the pain becomes a catalyst for you to do do the work on yourself um, to grow. And and pain is your body and your mind's way of communicating to you that something needs to change. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's like we all have the we all have moments in life that are at least up until that point in your life, the bottom of the well or your your rock bottom. And you just get there. And, you know, like Jamie Foxx had this like thing in a podcast where he tells his kids, like, what's on the other side of fear? And then he says nothing. (laughs) And I think that is so profound because like all that pain that I was so afraid of sitting with the minute I sat with it and it went through me and it hurt deeply on the other side of it. I was like, okay, I can go through this. You know, the other day I had a, I had a, I had a tweet that said, um, I learned that our hearts can endure a lot gracefully if we just sit with it. It's the constant running away that drives us, that drives us crazy. Yeah. Right. So I think it's just a combination of all those realizations that were like, ah, moments around that quote, you know, and then I, and it was actually, I read the quote way after it had that, that, that knowledge and that learning. And like you said, if I'd learned it before, like if I had read that quote when I was 23 years old, it wouldn't have made any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I had sort of had that experience to be able to, to come back to it and say, okay, I, I understand. And that's why it's, it's become something I remember. Um, while you were talking, I kind of slipped out into my room to go get this book that I read. Um, it's by Melody Betty, um, mm-hmm. and it's called journey to the heart daily meditations on the path to freeing your soul. And it's one of those books that you kind of open and, you know, you're supposed to read the date. And so, you know, today's June 9th when we're recording and the passage for June 9th is believe in life, not loss. And it kind of talks about whether we choose to believe in life or we believe, uh, choose to believe in grief. Right. And it says believing in life means we can trust, uh, we can trust in the nature and rhythm of life with all its constant change. We believe in transformation, change and purpose. And it means we're not in bondage to the past. Uh, But believing in loss means we focus on the grief, on the pain, on the tragedy, on the inescapable reality of certain events. Believing in loss means we get fixated on what was taken from us, what we did wrong, and we judge ourselves and live our lives harshly. And so she ends it off by saying, do you believe in loss or do you believe in life? And that believing in life means it's okay to let go. We can trust where we've been. We trust where we're going and we're right where we need to be. Believe in life is what she leaves us off with. That's amazing. Right. To believe that, you know, and I, I, I was moving throughout the entire day today telling myself that you had to go through everything that you had to go through so you could come to today. And Absolutely. perhaps if, right, and perhaps if you hadn't gone through all that pain, 
you wouldn't be here. And while you were talking, I just remembered this one day where, you know, I was out and I came home and I went straight into the shower and I think I cried the deepest cry of my life and just like from the deepest parts of myself, not out of pain, not out of sadness, but out of gratitude for this, um, the pain that I've gone through and gratitude for myself to sit with it because I was like, oh my God, if this is what healing feels like, I want to do it all the time. Right, right, right. How hard it is. A good cry feels really good. Like, how how light did you feel after? So light. And I just, but it was just, I was just in so much awe that, you know, everything had happened exactly how it was meant to be. It was so divinely orchestrated, but that all the hard stuff, like you're saying, pain is, pain is hard to go through, but the only way to it is through it. And I think that that cry came from that, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. And it's, I think, um, like I, and I should, I should preface this whole conversation with the fact that anything I'm sharing is not my knowledge. I am a, I'm an avid listener and reader and I've collected, (laughs) you know, lessons. And I actually don't think knowledge belongs to anybody because the people Mm -hmm. who wrote the book also were, you know, the universe sort of has a way of passing on the, um, the learnings and the vessels uh, through through you know vessels of whether it's books or people and so forth. So none of this is my own knowledge. It's just stuff I have learned. Um, but yeah, one hundred percent. I am now especially. I am really grateful for all my tough times because I think the tough times, the the painful times, they are the prerequisite, you know, um, to wanting to grow. And, and it's almost it's in, in like a sports way. I tell the guys at Decibel this all the time, like. A lot of times if you make a bunch of mistakes, but you end up winning the game, nobody talks about it. Right. But if you make the same mistakes and you lose the game, then in the locker room after you talk about all of it, like we could have done this better. We could have done that better. We could have pushed a little harder over here. And so th- that's why I think it's like the the feedback that hurts or the the painful times or th- that, are a, that are a consequence of the actions and the choices that you have made that do not serve you that direct feedback is actually way, way more valuable than just like a really nice, happy go time, you know, because mm-hmm. the happy time is great. And it's like, it's amazing to be in that blissful state. But it's, it, it is, it, it, it often doesn't teach you much. It's, it's not telling you what you could be doing better as much as the painful times do. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, this is actually only one side of, you know, pain and hurt that we're talking about. There's obviously, you know, we've, we've come to a place where we can find appreciation and gratitude for that pain. But when you're going through it, sometimes it can be really hard. And especially if you don't have that awareness of yourself, I mean, it's, it's nice to look back in hindsight and think, you know, I was acting this way because of X, Y, and Z. But when you're kind of going through it, it's really hard to know how you're treating yourself and treating other people. Um, And, you know, I say that because I know you and I are very compassionate human beings and we have really big hearts. And I know I'm really, really hard on myself when I, you know, accidentally hurt somebody when I'm hurting, even if I'm not, if I don't mean to, and it, you know, I can hold space for the fact that perhaps I did it unknowingly. I'm still really hard on myself. Um, You know, and you said this once to me when we were on a walk just a few weeks ago that, you know, no one's immune to this and that there's no way you're ever going to go through life without hurting others, especially when you're hurting yourself. Um, I want to ask you about that. You know, if the pain was so there was so much pain and so much hurt in your life. Um, did you hurt other people along the way? And did you know you were hurting others while you were also hurting? Yeah, this is this is a, a very deep, intimate question. And uh, 
and I think, and I've unpacked this so much in mm-hmm. therapy and stuff now that I actually feel really comfortable talking about it. But my deepest pain actually came from the pain that I knew I had inflicted upon the people that I loved, like really deeply loved, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and that, and I think that's like the, you know, the point that you said about like knowing that you have a big compassionate heart and then, then you still, you know, cause uh, harm or you cause, or you create pain for other people. I think what I've learned is that everybody does the best that they can, given the level of awareness that they have at that time. I, and I think understanding that is, is what has led me to sort of make amends with myself because you know, I remember talking to Tarun about this once um, and he he actually, I mean, we, I could do an episode completely on how Tarun has helped me change my life. But mm. uh, for those of you who don't know, Tarun is uh, my my manager. He manages me as an artist. He's a, one of my closest friends and business partner in a bunch of, we basically do everything together at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, you know, I was really down upon myself on um, some, you know, so, uh, some something from my past where I'd created hurt for somebody that I really, really cared for. And he basically said, like, you know, being that um, being that upset about having made those mistakes is actually really narcissistic. And I was like, whoa, hold on. Like, how is it like being how is like being repentful of my, you know, mistakes here? He said, who are you to hold yourself to this impossible standard that you will never hurt anyone? You were just a guy, a kid who grew up with his own limitations, without a father, without much guidance, was bullied like crazy and like wanted like any other child to feel accepted, you know, to feel like he belonged and to feel like he was loved. And he looked for all, all those things and all he looked for those things and all the things that could that could momentarily provide that, you know, and mm-hmm. it is narcissistic of you to think that you should be at this like complete Zen state where you will never hurt anybody. Like you, you are going but what you should be actually look paying attention to is like how deeply it hurts you to have created hurt for another human being. And that should tell you more about the contents of your character and your heart. And I was like, my, like I don't even like re- think he realizes this because this was like over a Zoom call. He just kind of said it in passing. And I sat there for like an hour just like thinking about that because I think that is so true. I think we have these impossible standards that we build for ourselves. And as your awareness increases, you also inevitably see that there is no other. You know, when you hurt another person, you hurt yourself, you hurt yourself and you, you know, you, they carry it in different forms or you carry it in forms of guilt and so on. And I think from there, I have learned that the best thing you can do for the world, the best thing that you, the best gift any human being can give in my, in my opinion to the universe is working on their own awareness Hmm. because if you're as you work on your awareness, it is inevitable that it will create habits and a life that will allow you to be a kinder, more compassionate, compassionate human being, because that is every human being's true essence. You know, every human, every, no child is born wanting to create hurt. No, you know, and our conditioning and our, you know, parents and society and community and all that kind of stuff creates conditioning that becomes, um, that creates walls and creates friction that will inevitably create hurt for you and for others. But the best gift you can do yourself is to do the work of of working on your awareness, because only when you do that, can you get to that point of having compassion for everybody. Mm-hmm. And 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 the, the the vengeance against yourself is is not helpful because 
I was listening to, uh, there's a woman by the name of Tara Brock, who I've learned a lot from. She's a spiritual teacher and like has these amazing podcasts on Spotify. And when I first went to therapy, I was introduced to this book by her called Radical Acceptance. And I just like, when I find that something helps me grow, I devour it. Like I become obsessive. So I started walking every night for hours listening to this book. And in one of her podcasts, she said, you know, vengeance against ourselves is a lazy form of grief. It's an escape from actually facing the grief. So continually being down on myself was me just being lazy and running from actually sitting down and facing the grief of the pain that I had created for myself first and foremost, and then for the people that I loved. Mm-hmm. And, and self-forgiveness is the prerequisite for continued evolution. So since then, and this, this was probably the hardest part of the process. And I don't think I'm, I, I will, I'm there. And I don't think anybody ever really gets 100% of the way there. It's just about improving every day that you can. But I have made a lot of peace with that and forgiven myself um, in a really, really deep way um, and done my best to make amends where it was possible and, you know, reached out to people and communicated that to them and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love that you mentioned forgiveness. Um, there was a book that I read and it was Ho'oponopono. It's like this Hawaiian practice of self-forgiveness. And what what this entire premise is built on is this one sentence and it says, I'm sorry, um, I love you. For, um, you know what, I'm actually going to pull it up because I'm going to butcher it. <laughs> it's okay. Ho'oponopono. And basically, it's a Hawaiian principle. And what it says is, you know, you can you can learn to forgive yourself and you can in forgiving yourself, you can start to release things that, you know, have happened to you. And the saying is, I love you. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you. And so I started to say that to myself every time um, something would come up in my mind for hurt that I've caused to other people or hurt that I caused to myself whenever I allowed someone to do something to me or say something to me that, you know, went against my boundaries or was hurtful. Right. Right. And I think saying to myself, first and foremost, I love you, regardless of what you allowed to happen to you or you did to somebody else. You know, I have a lot of love for you and I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry that I, I put you through that, or I'm sorry that I allowed myself to put other people through that. And I forgive me for all the hurt that I've caused because of exactly what you said. I was operating under a very limited awareness of myself and other people. And yeah. thank you, because you've given me a chance to learn more about myself, learn, learn more about somebody else, and also to, to come to a place where um, I've actually been even forced to forgive myself and forgive right. somebody else. Right. And I think forgiving yourself for that is huge, because if you don't forgive yourself, um, you, might, you might hold on to that resentment for the rest of your life, and nothing happens for, with that energy. It just stays stagnant in your body. It doesn't go anywhere, um, you know, and... It takes so much courage to forgive yourself, um, you know, let alone anybody else. I think I think it takes the most courage to forgive yourself for all the hurt that you caused yourself while you were causing hurt around everybody else, too. Yeah. And, and you know, hurt unaware people hurt others. You know, somebody who's going and call it, and starting a war isn't an aware, compassionate human being. It's a very ego driven human who hasn't, you know, had the chance or the fortune of finding a portal into their own kind heart because mm-hmm. there's another guy, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Edgar Toll has this amazing quote that he says, you do not, you do not become good by trying to be good, but mm-hmm. finding the goodness that's already within you and allowing it to come to the forefront, which is, you know, again, like Rumi has a similar quote that, you know, you don't have to 
have to find your way to love. You have to just remove the barriers that you've built, um, you know, between you and love. I'm butchering the code, but the, the idea mm -hmm. is the same. So learning that, you know, I have made love of myself very deep. I, I deeply now believe that I'm a good, kind-hearted human being because when I stack up the times that I have made decisions to help others or to to give in any way I can or to contribute in a positive way to someone's life, they are that list is monumental compared to the list where I have created harm for others in my own ignorance and in my own lack of awareness. So I think you know it's it's once you make love of yourself perfect and you say you know i i accept you asad and i you know and i say this to myself in meditation every morning um i you know i'll say my gratitude but and i say thank you to myself like thanks for committing to this i'm proud of you asad you know you're like i talk to myself in that tone now before there used to be this constant tape recorder on loop in my head that's just telling me how i've fallen short of how i've i've like let people down or how i've made these mistakes and so forth and that doesn't serve anybody. You just become a sad, miserable human being who's difficult to be around and you're not contributing to society in a, po in a positive way uh, because it takes real effort and courage to face the mistakes you've made and then even deeper effort and courage to forgive yourself from that. Mm -hmm. You use the word accept a lot, um, you know, in, in a kind of talking about all of this right. just now. And I think that's all it really is that we're doing. We're all on a journey for acceptance, you know, accepting ourselves for who we are or looking for acceptance within other people, looking to fit in, you know, we're always, I think, journeying on this idea of acceptance. Right. Um, and I'm really curious, you know, what has your journey of searching for acceptance from others been like? Extremely futile and useless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You can't, I mean, that's, that's like the, that's the first light bulb that goes on, right? Like you start looking for your acceptance in other people. There are 7 billion people who are all battling their own, you know, their own life and, and trying to do their, what they're, what they're all doing. And there is no way that you will find that. And, and you shouldn't, I, 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 I'm so passionately uh, wired up about this topic because like, I think for a long time, and especially nowadays, we are taught to like seek that validation in others. Like if others approve of the car you drive, if others approve of the size of your bank account, if others approve of, you know, what your body looks like, what your hair looks like, what, uh, how you treat people other, what is your sex life like? Like all of those things that you start looking for, like, are do, does society think I'm a good person? Mm -hmm. um, my thing on that is that it's a very useless way of trying to find verification. Like it's, you can't, your journey to find acceptance has to be acceptance from your own self. Your relationship with your deep inner self, your divine self has to be so, so, so strong that that's the only validation you need. And, um, you know, being, I was in the public eye a lot and like, you know, there's like, you know, thousands of people on Instagram that were like looking into my stuff every day. And, and if I started looking at, and I did for a long time, and, you know, we've talked about this, like I, there was a lot of, um, expression by people of what they didn't like about me or they didn't approve of me. And these were people that had, that had never met me. They had never spent a day in my, you know, company. So if I started, and for a long time I did, I put my my level of happiness into the level of acceptance I was finding in others. And, I, and I'm so, so grateful that my wonderful, wonderful, wonderful teacher and therapist and friends and books that I've now read have helped me realize how stupid that was on my part. Not stupid, just like ill-informed. I don't like the word stupid. I don't really think that's a thing just lack of, again, awareness. Um, 
so I focus now much, much more on accepting myself versus finding acceptance outside because, but I hold myself accountable. That's not like, oh, I, uh, you know, I said, you were really, really bad today. I accept you. And like, hey, I said, you made some mistakes today. Tomorrow we're going to do better. Like, you know, this is not in alignment with, with the kind of human being that I, that I aspire to be. And I, and I, my, my love for myself has deepened to a point where I know that the kind of human being I want to be is extremely kind, compassionate, wants to see everybody around him grow, wants to express his art. And anything that I do that is not in alignment with that vision, I have to course correct myself. But that correction and that appraise and that uh, constructive feedback or criticism can only come from me. It cannot, I, I will not, unless, uh, of course, th there's exceptions to like, you know, if Tarun tells me something's going on, I'm going to listen because there's somebody really deeply cares for me and knows me, you know, or if you, you call me out on something or my teachers call me out on something. But finding that, searching for acceptance from like 19,000 people on Instagram or whoever else is, is involved in my life is no chance. I, I would do that to myself anymore. But I think that's what self-love is. And I think yeah. that was what I realized that, you know, even holding yourself accountable is a form of self-love when you 100%. say, you know, 100%. I think that is like, it's a, it's a deep level of self-love. It's a deep level of commitment to yourself to say, we're trying to be better and being better doesn't mean you bypass all throughout the dumb shit that you do, right? Right. Self-love is calling yourself in, pulling yourself in, and at the end of the day saying, how can I be better tomorrow? That is yeah. self-love. You know, self-love isn't, I love myself and all my flaws. You know, of course, yeah. we're humans are inherently flawed, you know, and I think the entire journey is for us to understand our flaws and to perhaps lessen the impact of our flaws. But I think that's what self-love, that's what self-love is, you know? Yeah, and I'll, I'll share a story with you that I think, like for me, my the idea of self-acceptance really developed uh, listening to this one thing um so i came across this teaching that said liberation is really um a state of being without anxiety from non-perfection mm. and i was like whoa like anxiety Say from liberty. liberation is described as being without anxiety from non-perfection Wow. And the and the prompt was to like pause your day, sit down and like deepen your attention and ask yourself, what would it be like to be without anxiety about non-perfection for yourself? Like whatever your perceived imperfections and flaws are, if you could for a moment sense what it would be like to not have that constant feeling of something fundamentally being wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, whoa, because in that second when I was like, I just meditated on that i felt so light and i realized how much of my life is happening under this invisible weight of something is wrong with me i am mm -hmm. i make i i am not you know something is wrong i am not making enough music i am not making amends with the people that i've hurt enough i am not being the as compassionate a business leader as i could be i'm not non-stop you know I'm, i was looking for something that is not not right with me and the second I went into this moment where I, I took that weight off, I felt so liberated. Like somebody had just taken like, you know, pounds and pounds of weight off my neck and my shoulders and my brain. And from there, that lightness turned into grief. It turned into grief because I realized in that moment how liberated I could be if I could do the work to achieve this peace, if I could get rid of that voice in my head. And grief because it helped me realize how many years of this beautiful, precious life that I have the gift of living have I spent under this cloud of non-perfection of believing that something is wrong with me? 
because, mm. you know, kids in, kids in high school told me something was wrong with me because my parents, when I was younger, told me something was wrong with me if I wasn't first at everything. Because when I made mistakes and I was in the public eye, everybody in the entire universe told me it was wrong with me. And so now I believe that something was wrong with me. And I was like, man, I have wasted way too much of my life on this, on this crap. And whatever amount of work it takes for me to liberate myself of this, I'm going to do that. And the thing with grief is that once you get to that point of having grief for yourself in your life, you then commit with compassion. You don't commit with the strictness of like, oh, I'm going to, from this day onwards, I'm never going to do anything wrong. No, you, you commit with this like cradling love for yourself. You hold yourself like a baby. Wow, Asid, sorry, yaar, man. You know, I was so hard on yourself. I said like, you know, I'm sorry that I've, like I was like, I talked to myself and I picture this, like I have this picture of myself. I was playing cricket when I was like five years old in Pakistan in one of our homes. And I had this big smile on my face and I'm wearing shorts and like a yellow shirt and I have a cricket bat in my hand. And I talk to myself with that image of myself in my mind now. And I say, Asid, I am so sorry that I let, you know, this bullshit belief system take away so many precious moments of your life. But I'm, I'm also really grateful that we got to this realization in our late 20s and not when we were 60. And from this day onwards, I'm going to do all it takes to liberate you of that bullshit so you can really enjoy and serve and be the best version of yourself you can be. And, and that committing to yourself can only happen once you can have, you can find that point of grief of like how much of your life has been affected by believing this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sitting here emotional because at the time that we're recording this, I actually had, we have the same therapist, you and I, yeah. I had a session yesterday with her. Right. And I always walk into the session thinking, I'm, I think I'm the shit. What? I don't need to be here. <laughs> I mean, right. I'm the one who's booked the appointment. So I know an element of yeah. me knows I need to be there. And I think that's where, where I was at, you know, yesterday. And then, you know, having left and then listening to you is like, you know, I always think that I know it, I get it. I love myself, but not realizing how deep that lack of trust and acceptance of yourself runs like I always think I'm too much for people I always mm. think you know I people I'm not going to open up to friends I'm not going to show myself to potential you know partners and you know this is also why I've never been able to be in a relationship because I think I'm too much for people to handle and right. I've wasted so many years of my life I think on a surface level I understand that that's detrimental and no I'm actually not too much but at a deep level, I still feel like I am too much for anybody. And so what I do is I constantly make myself small in so many situations to counter that. Um, right. But, you know, that liberation, even though it's so tempting and I want to I want to reach out and grab it. I know my hands out there, my hand. It's really just maybe at the fingertips, but something still pulls me back and doesn't allow me to fully grasp it. Right. And. The thing is, but but you know it's out there now. So now now you've tasted it and you're going to do the work that it takes to get there because you know that that's worth it. Like if there's any work that is worth putting in beyond anything else I've done in life, you know, I've had the fortune of having built a, a successful career as a musician before as an engineer and and my business and everything. And I think I'm I'm blessed with a great support system and everything. The, the most valuable work I've done has been this work on myself. And, and, and Harpo, the other thing I would say to what you just said is that you, you're, and this is actually, this is something that really helped me with my music project. You, you not 
allowing yourself to fully be expressed or seen is as much a disservice to you as it is to those that care about you and, and are in your circle. Like, because, you know, I want to see the whole Harpo. I want to, you know, feel and be, ex be able to experience the full expression of this beautiful form that lives through you. And, and so it also, I think, you know, it becomes bigger than you when you realize that there is a, uh, there's a level of serving here. This isn't, this is not about just about you and, and, and your story as much as it is, it is also about how much of, how much more of a positive impact you're going to have when you start expressing. And, and you already have, you wouldn't be doing this podcast. You wouldn't be putting yourself out there. You wouldn't be, you know, reaching out to people that have in any way touched you or had an impact on your life and then sharing their stories with people and, and the ripple effect that that will create because you are understanding and you, you know this, like you said, you booked the appointment at some level, you already knew that, you know, you mm -hmm. needed to go. The same person, the same instinct, the same, intu same intuition is guiding you to do this podcast and, and guiding you to a point where you're starting to really fully express yourself. Like I, I, you know, the way you're opening up about the taboos of like, you know, what a woman's body can do in the South Asian culture and what it's allowed to do and the, and the, and the idea around sex about and South Asian women, like those are all topics that need to be talked about. And I think you doing that is a very, very deep message of self-love to yourself and expression. That's true, actually. I never saw it, thought of it like that. That's very true. I'm proud of you. Oh, thank you. I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I want to ask you before we end off, um, not that I want this to end. I feel like you and I have <laughs> hours. And if, if you're listening to this episode and you made it this far continuously, good on you, man. Good on you. Um, the last thing I want to ask you and, you know, answer this in any way that you want, but right. I want to know. Who is Asad? Because I think for the longest time, everybody has had, like you've, we've already talked about, everyone has had their own perception, their own understanding of who you are. Who right. is Asad? And is he different from convict or are they the same person? Right. <laughs> I love that question. Um, I've been getting that question more and more now, which is, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, yeah, let's start with convict. Like convict is a project of self-expression that a human named Asid started. Um, this is, I think it's about nine years old now. It is a vehicle I've built through which I can share my art with the world. Um, it's a, it's, it's like any entity you create. It's like a business. It's like a painting. It's like a song, but it's its own vessel through which it, it you know, flows and hopefully creates impact. I am not as attached to the convict project as an identity of Asid anymore, um, which has been a very liberating process for me. Um, I don't think of my music and stuff going out like, oh, this is my song and all this stuff. Like convict is just one part of my life I'm going to do. Decibel is one little part of my life that I'm going to do. And when I am in my 40s, maybe I will do something new. I want to pick up a new project. Like, you know, hindsight and I talk about this. Like both of us have this like mindset of like, I want to pick up a new new thing to build in every decade. And right now it's mm -hmm. it's music and Convict is a project through which I want to make electronic music that champions uh, South Asian sounds and 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 my and my, my Pakistani roots in music and, and hopefully allows me to express it on global stages. Um, so it is just, it is, Convict is just that. It is a project um, that I deeply love and it's a very passionate expression of art that I'm creating, but it's not the person. 
And Asid is the name my ego was given by my parents. It means lion. <laughs> um, just like the rest of my identity. I think there's, I read this beautiful thing. I think there's two ways when you see a human. Um, you'd look at them in two ways. You know, the first is their form, which is their name, their body, their psychological makeup, etc. So that's one. And the second is their consciousness, and which is the same as yours. You and you and that human are connected through that one common denominator, which is consciousness. So Asid is, you know, Asid is just a guy who like he loves his family more than anything. He genuinely, genuinely finds pleasure in helping anyone he can. He loves helping people have special moments. I mean, I've built a business around that. Mm. <laughs> he he doesn't no longer puts a glass ceiling on his dreams. He just thinks whatever he wants to do, he can he can start chipping away at it. And then he has faith that you know the universe will bring whatever is good for him and keep whatever isn't away. I think he I think he's a really kind guy who has learned a lot and grown a lot. I think he is a pretty funny guy in a dad joke kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> he learn. I think I am really proud of us because he learns from his mistakes. He he makes mistakes, but he learns from them and really puts in the work to grow. And um, yeah, I think he's a very sensitive guy. He's got a lot of love and affection for the world. And despite how hard things ever get, he doesn't give up. He believes in the preciousness and the beauty of life. And so all of those things, I think, comprise to make the human Asid. And he's not in any way an example to aspire to be like or perfection of any kind he's a very broken system trying to figure itself out but uh i am really proud of everything that uh, he's done and i've made my love for him perfect i love all of that so much seriously <laughs> i love all of that so much i think from you know convict at decibel to hippie asad with plant babies and long hair i think you've grown tremendously and even though you're saying you know by no means is this the the ideal that you should strive for. I think, um, you know, a quote that I love, if we're going to continue giving out quotes in this episode, is when you start shining your light, you automatically give an indication to others that it's safe for them to also shine their light. And I think that's really all it is. You know, you being so authentically yourself and being so committed to yourself and your journey and this human experience for that consciousness. I think that is an indicator to anybody that's drawn to you that they're capable of also doing something similar, that it's okay for them to be authentically themselves as well. And I think, you know, that's it. You're just leading by example. You're not, you might not be explicitly saying things and you might not be explicitly doing these things, but I think just you moving through the world and the way that you are moving through it is inspiration enough and i want to thank you so much for having this kind of a chat with me i think it's you know invaluable to me to be able to hear these things about you you know i've looked up to you for so many years now and you know i'm so happy that our souls crossed paths at the time that they did it's a miracle that we're here at the same time and thank you for being such an incredible friend thank you for being such a dope guest i think this you know <laughs> i for anyone who thought this was too existential i'm sorry i'm sure you need to you know i'm sure you learned tons even if you thought you weren't going to um but thank you so much for just being you i think you know uh, you're so good at being you and i i want to thank you for that Thank you, Arpo. Like, I think all of those things equally apply to you. And thanks for this platform that you've built for people to share their stories. And um, I think a lot of young women in our community are going to be grateful that they came across your podcast and 
this is just the beginning. Um, you know, when I think of people that I learn from, I always sometimes go, man, like God bless their souls for like putting in the time to, to like share this knowledge and this, this, their, their lessons and their, you know, triumphs and, and their losses. And because I think it's a very expensive life to live if you have to learn every lesson by making the mistake yourself. And if you can listen mm -hmm. to other people's stories and learn from their lessons, um, it can really, you know, fast track your growth and you are providing a really great platform for people to do that. So um, thank you for doing that. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. Like I don't nowadays, especially I'm very private. I don't open up like this to many people, but you're one of the few people that um, I find it really easy and comfortable to have these kind of intimate conversations with. Oh, that means a lot to me. I, I really wanted to, uh, you know, do this conversation justice. I really wanted this to be done. I, I mean, before I was thinking it has to be done right, but I think that there's no right, right way to do it, especially right. when there's energies like ours in the room. But, you know, I'm I'm so grateful that we took out the time to, to have this conversation between ourselves. And like you said, for other people too. So, you know, if you felt particularly moved by this episode, I would love for you to tell me and Asad. Um, I'll let you take the next 30 seconds to kind of talk about anything that you want to share, you know, whether you want to plug the, the latest album, uh, where people can find you, how people can reach you. Um, take the next 30 seconds to tell everybody oh 30 seconds to tell everybody um <laughs> or a minute if you need a minute <laughs> i'll tell you guys a story actually i'm a story guy dave mann who is one of my mentors told me this really amazing sufi story about the power of intent mm. so there is a um a father and son who live in a little hut somewhere by the arabian sea and during the day, the father works on the farm outside the hut and the son goes and just hangs out at the beach. And as the son spends more and more time there every day, he just goes there. He's like, you know, pure soul is a young, young guy. And over the time, the birds, the seagulls basically become comfortable with his presence and they start playing with him and coming and landing on his shoulders and resting with him and flapping their wings around him. And, and he's just sitting there in silence, enjoying this wonderful magic of the universe unfolding through all these birds and all the beautiful wind in front of the ocean. The father watches this from a distance and goes, wow, that's amazing. I want to know what that's like. So that night when his son comes home, he says, son, I want to know what it's like to get that intimate with the seagulls. Will you, will you please bring some back tomorrow? Will you, when you go to the beach to, tomorrow, will you bring a few home so then I can enjoy their presence? And the son says, yeah, sure, dad, I'll do that for you. He's, you know, he said, that's what my dad wants. That's what I'm going to do. The next day he goes, goes to the same time, same spot and sits down. And none of the birds come to him. Because all that has shifted is his intent. Before it was just a pure kid who wanted to just go sit there and enjoy the nature. And now he has an intent of wanting something from those same birds. And the universe pays attention to those subtleties. And so the none of the birds came when he went with the intent of bringing them back. Wow. Powerful. Yeah, great story. Dave great story. wisdom all the time like that. So, oh yeah, if you have a person like that in your life, go spend time with them. I make an <laughs> effort to go for a walk with Dave every week if I can, because I feel like I just become a sponge of knowledge around him. Yeah, I want to hang out with Dave Uncle. I haven't done that in a while. That would be yeah. nice. Well, thank you, Asad. On that note, uh, thank you so much for tuning in, everyone, if you did. And thanks, Asad. I hope you have a fantastic day. Thank you very much, Harpo. Thanks again for having me. I'm really stoked for whenever this comes out, and I look forward to sharing this.
Thank you.